This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 791 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horse.com's weekly horse health report on the Horses in the Morning show. The Horse.com's digital editor, Michelle Anderson, and Dr. Johnson from the National Botulism Reference Laboratory at New Bolton Center are joining the Hit'em crew for a talk about botulism. And we'll get right to our tip right after this informative nutritional minute from Kentucky Performance Products. Hi, Glenn the Geek here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm here with Karen from Kentucky Performance Products with a sensible supplementing tip of the week. We're going to talk about omega fatty acids' role in equine nutrition. So, Karen, everybody hears about omega fatty acids, but a lot of us, you know, we hear about it, and then it sort of goes out of our brain, and we don't really absorb what they are or why they're important. Right, and, you know, Glenn, I think it's just very confusing to a lot of people, and mainly because there's so many of them, and they have so many odd names. So I think the easiest thing is, is to just try to simplify it as much as I can for you. Um, omega fatty acids are considered essential fatty acids. And what that means is they are fatty acids that are required for a biological purpose in the horse. In other words, they're not just used for fuel or energy, but they actually have a purpose. And they are considered essential because the horse cannot manufacture them on their own. We have to provide them in the diet. And because of the way we manage horses nowadays, you know, we've kind of moved away from um, managing horses just with a a fiber source. In other words, you know, used to be horses just, you know, grazed all day out on pasture and different grasses. They got a little bit of grain now and then, maybe at the end of the growing season, but for the most part, they're eating grass. And grass is very high in um, omegas, in the, the good omegas for horses. So there's two kinds of omega fatty acids. There's omega-3 fatty acids and omega-6 fatty acids. And horses need both, but they need them in the correct ratio. And if you look at the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in different feedstuffs, if we look at grasses, we see that grass has five um, parts omega-3 to one part omega-6. And since grass is really what horses um, would eat naturally, that leads us to believe that the ratio for omega-3s to omega-6 in a horse in nature would be more omega-3s than omega-6s. So does that make sense? Makes sense, yep. Yep. On that so far? So what we're looking at is we don't really know. They haven't, the researchers have not determined what exact, the exact perfect ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s in horses, but we know that they need more omega-3s than 6s. And we're looking at somewhere between a 3 to 1 to 5 to 1 ratio in the diet. That, that seems to be a good spot to start or a good thumb rule. Unfortunately, um, because we've changed the way we manage horses over the years, we feed hay and we feed grain. And that has inverted the ratio. In other words, most of our horses are getting more omega-6s than they are omega-3s. If you have an inverted ratio, in other words, if you have more omega-6s than omega-3s, then you have more inflammation in the body than you normally would if you had a higher amount of omega-3s. 
So the omega-3s, as they move through the system, tend to be anti-inflammatory, and the omega-6s, as they move through the system, tend to be pro-inflammatory. Your horse can use either three or six, and they will use whatever is provided to them. But the result could be either beneficial or not so beneficial to your horse. Now, your horse does need some of both, but that ratio is very, very important. How do I then turn it around to get more omega-3s back in than omega-6s? Well, there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, grass is absolutely, you know, again, it, it's what nature intended horses to eat. So it's a very good source of omega-3. So if you can allow your horse to graze for the majority of the day, then, of course, that's almost... Which our horse would turn into a... Uh, uh, you, exactly. you could fly him across the sky because he'd be a hot air balloon at that point. That's right. A lot of horses can't because we've improved our pastures so much. Um, so using feeds that are lower in um, omega-6s and higher in omega-3s or something that, that you can do. Now, forages, um, both hay and pasture, will contain more omega-3s than omega-6s. So grass and hay is good for your horse, and we all know that you know that needs to be the basis of your diet. Um, some oils will contain more omega-3s than 6s. A lot of people um, are using flaxseed now. And flax is higher in omega-3s than omega-6. Um, also, the fish oils. And a lot of fish oils are, are available over the counter now through supplementation. In fact, we have one called Contribute that is a, a fish. It's a combination of fish oil and flax oil. And it provides a complete complement of omega-3s. It has an 8 to 1 ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s, and it contains the plant and marine sources of omega-3s. Now, there's been in the past, there's been some palatability issues with fish oil. I don't know if you've ever smelled some of the fish oils that are... Mm -hmm. Lots of horses will run to the back of their stall and just stand there going, oh, my God, Mom, what did you put in my feed? (laughs) Some of the human pills are like that, too. Yeah, you can really pick. So we did a lot of research with our product, and we got a fish oil that um, uh, just on its own smelled pretty good, and then we've added some flavor, some cherry flavor to it that has made it very palatable. So we have very few horses turning it down. And like anything, you have to introduce it slowly and should introduce it slowly anyway to the horse. But we have very few horses that will turn it down. Well, that's uh, that, that's terrific. It's good to learn. I never knew about the ratio between the threes and the sixes. And, of course, you can find out more information on Kentucky Performance Products' new website. has a terrific, a terrific article on this, and we'll link to that in our show notes as well as on our Facebook page. And Or you could just go to kppusa.com to find out more about omega fatty acids and the Contribute product. Just look under Products. Right, we have digital edu- editor of thehorse.com, Michelle Anderson, with us, like we do every week. Good morning, Michelle. Hey, good morning, Glenn. You know, I was thinking about this this morning before before we get to Dr. Johnson. Is uh, we have been doing this segment with you guys, you about a year, but I think you know with thehorse.com for almost two years now, and it just goes to show you how much crap can go wrong with your horse. Because we have not duplicated, I don't think, but one or two topics we have duplicated in two years, 100 episodes of doing this. It's like, yeah. who even owns it? Why even own these things? All they're going to do is get sick and die. I and know. And today we're talking about botulism. Botulism. There's, it's like, oh, my God, botulism? I know. And it's, a, it's a silent killer that, oh, man, this one's scary. 
Oh, so. oh, great. great. That's what we need. Oh, so, yeah, you know, there's never any shortage of stuff to cover every week. Um, that's why we have 40,000 articles and videos and fact sheets on thehorse.com. There's a lot of stuff that, you're right, can go wrong with our horses. Fortunately, yeah. usually, usually they're healthy, right? Knock on wood. I'm going to knock on some wood. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. All right, so, take it away. Yeah, so Dr. Johnson is here. Uh, she's with the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Johnson, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, so you just did an Ask the Vet Live with us last week on botulism, and it did occur to me that it's something that we hadn't done on this show, and we had some great information, so I thought it would be um, wise for us to have you come over uh, to Horses in the Morning and talk a little bit about botulism. But first, can you tell us a little bit about your interest in botulism, why you're one of the, the experts in this area? Sure. So I'm interested in it for a few reasons. One of the first is that I have specialized in neurology, and it's one of the neurologic problems that we see quite often in this area. I work at the University of Pennsylvania, like you said, in the Mid-Atlantic region, and this is an endemic region for botulism. So we see quite a few cases come through our hospital every year, and because it can cause such severe problems for the horses, they're often in the hospital for long periods of time, and we work really hard on these cases. I also uh, do some research into botulism, specifically into ways that we can better diagnose this disease in horses and so we can implement treatment more quickly. Okay. Yeah, and I have to be honest, this is an, a disease that I had a lot of knowledge about before we went into the Asavet Live. Because um, in my area, I'm, I don't know that it's endemic, <laughs> and I probably should know, but how, how, where are the areas that people should be worried about this? Let's start with that. Well, botulism is a disease caused by a bacteria that is everywhere in the world. Um, so it's, it's in the soil. It's not a disease that needs to be carried by animals. It's just in the environment, this bacteria. Uh, but there are certainly certain areas of the country where there seems to be more of it, and it seems to cause a problem more regularly than in others. So in particular, the Mid-Atlantic region and Kentucky seems to have a high incidence of clinical botulism in horses. But certainly, we've had outbreaks from pretty much every state that have been reported, uh, West Coast, East Coast, southwest, middle of the country, and it, even in people, one of the states where they see the most botulism is Alaska, so it, it can be anywhere. And you say it lives in the dirt? Uh, yes. For the most part, right. it lives in the That's dirt. It. There's one type that does live in dead animals, which is, and in okay. people, you know, they get it from vegetable and canned products oftentimes, but the way that animals get it is generally from the dirt. All right, yeah, pave everything. So Just pave everything. <laughs> pave it all. What? And and so you know, the canned goods. That's what I think of when I think of botulism in humans. And making sure you know you boil those green beans that were um, canned at home really really well before you eat them. Um, and but you mentioned something else uh, in humans that we see a lot of, and that is botulism in honey for infants. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Well. You know, we see botulism in, in young horses, and it's also a big problem in young people, so infants, basically. And a lot of mothers will be familiar with the recommendation that you shouldn't give honey to infants until they're at least a year of age. And that's because 
honey, virtually all honey that's produced will contain this bacteria in the spore form. And adults can eat these botulism spores without any problems at all. They don't get sick. They, it's not food poisoning. They'd never know they were eating it. But because babies have a very immature gut or gastrointestinal system, when they eat these spores, the spores sometimes will kind of take over and grow within the baby's gut, and that can make them very sick with botulism. Uh, so it is, and the same sort of scenario can happen with our foals, because unlike the adult horses, they have very immature guts. Okay. Jamie, are you and listening to this? Are you listening, Jamie? Yes. Okay, just check. <laughs> no honey. No, no honey. No honey. <laughs> and then, and your, and your baby horses, watch them too. <laughs> so, yeah, um, gotcha. Yeah. So there, you mentioned how the foals can, um, can contract the botulism. How are the other ways that horses can, can contract? Because if I remember correctly, there were three different ways. Right. So the most common way for the adult horses to contract botulism, botulism is caused by the toxin that this bacteria produces. So it's not just the bacteria that they have to come into contact with, it's actually the toxin. And for the bacteria to be producing this toxin, they have to be growing, or what we call the vegetative form, rather than the spore form, which is kind of the inert form where they're not growing and they're just sitting in the environment. And so the times when this bacteria produces its toxin are when it's in an environment that's very conducive to its growth. And that type of environment is what we call anaerobic or very low oxygen environment, as well as it has to be the right temperature and the right pH. And so the type of environments it likes are kind of wet, oxygen-free environments like you would see in the middle of a big bale of hay that's gotten wet and been left out in the field. And so horses most commonly get this disease when they're eating from, say, a really large either round bale or square bale of hay that has spoiled in the center. And so this toxin from the bacteria is just sitting there, and they, as they're eating the spoiled hay, they're eating the toxin. That's the most common way for adults to get it. It can also happen, like I said, there's one type of botulism that's common in, in dead animals or carrion. So if you have a rabbit or a squirrel or something that you know, accidentally got bailed up in the hay and has rotted within the hay and this toxin has been produced, they can get it that way too. The foals can get it from eating the spores themselves. So you don't even, the foals don't need to eat the toxin to start. If they, as they're grazing or nosing around, nuzzling the mare's udder, the dirt, the ground, the grass, what have you, if they pick up some of these spores, the spores themselves can colonize in the foals' GI tract and start producing toxin. And then the third way they can get it is actually wound botulism, meaning if the horse has a deep puncture wound and this bacteria, the spores are contaminate the wound and it kind of closes over. So again, there's this low oxygen environment. It can start producing its toxin within the horse and they can get it that way. Okay. And I have to say, after we did the Acevet Live last week, I opened up a bale of hay and I have a great hay supplier, but there was one bale that must have been damp when it was when it was uh, baled and put up, and um, and I opened it up, and it was really compact, and you could just tell it had been wet. And I was like, oh, man, I can't feed that. <laughs> so, so 
<laughs> and I wouldn't have anyway, but it did make it make me just hyper vigilant going through my hay, you know, when I'm looking at it to make sure that that it's good quality. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the clinical signs of botulism in horses and foals. You know, what what does it look like when an adult horse gets it? What does it look like in a foal, and is it any different? Sure. So what this toxin does is it stops nerve transmission to the muscles, meaning that the nerves are no longer telling muscles to contract, so the force becomes generally weak. And this weakness is most obvious um, first in the swallowing muscles, actually. They, they start having a very difficult time swallowing, and then after the swallowing muscles are affected, it can also affect the rest of their body so that they, their, their limbs become weak and they have a hard time even just standing up and walking around. So they might lie down more frequently and have a lot of muscle tremors. And this is the part that makes botulism a little bit tricky sometimes is that if you have a horse who's not eating very well and lying down a lot, the first, time, first thing everybody thinks is colic. My horse is colicking and they often get sent into the hospital for colic and it isn't until, you know, we've spent a long time looking at them and that we realize that it's not that the horse doesn't want to eat, the horse can't physically eat because of the, the muscle weakness. The other thing that it's easy to mix these cases up with actually is choke or esophageal obstruction because, again, when they're unable to swallow properly, sometimes the food will come out of their nose and their mouth when they're trying to eat, and they might start coughing just like you would see with a choke case. So um, the signs are this difficulty eating as well as this muscle weakness that makes them shake and lie down a lot, uh, but you need to make sure you know, to kind of separate these out from the colics and the chokes. And with foals, it's, it's pretty similar. They're called shaker foals because when they're standing, all of their legs start shaking more and more violently the longer they stand up and then they have to lie down. And they also, you know, when they try to nurse, they may have milk running out of their nose or out of their mouth because they just can't swallow the milk effectively. And so you like mentioned something out of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, well, and you also mentioned you know the confusion with possibly with colic or um, or choke. But what about other neurologic diseases? Can it be confused? with like EPM or West Nile virus? Absolutely. I mean, both EPM can affect the, the muscles that cause swallowing as well. So, and obviously EPM can make horses weak. It can make horses that are unable to stand up. Same with West Nile and, and even herpes virus. Usually if you, you know, get to watch the entire progression of the disease from the first signs of the difficulty swallowing and then seeing the horse get weaker and weaker, it, it kind of more points you to botulism, but if you are an owner or a vet who suddenly sees this horse that can't get up and is struggling to stand and they're just lying on the ground and you don't know why and you haven't seen that progression, you have a whole number of different neurologic diseases in your mind that could be causing that horse to have trouble standing and you've really got some work to do to figure out which one is causing the problem. So how is it diagnosed then? So in terms of the clinical exam, botulism almost always causes this difficulty swallowing and eating, which a lot of the other neurologic diseases like EPM and West Nile and herpes do not do routinely, although they 
10, it would be unusual for those diseases to do so. So the clinical tests we do are we assess the strength of the tongue really carefully. We actually call it the tongue stress test, where, you know, you pull the tongue out the side of the horse's mouth very carefully, and you hold the horse's jaws closed and see if they're able to pull their tongue back into their mouth. And if the tongue just hangs there and they can't pull it back in normally, that's a really hallmark sign of botulism. The other thing that we do is called a grain test, where we put eight ounces or, you know, a cup of sweet feed into a pan on the ground and let the horse try to eat it. And a horse with botulism will almost always be unable to consume just that very small amount of grain in less than two minutes, whereas, you know, a normal horse will hoover it right up and they'll be done eating it within a minute or so. So for, I asked about live last week, we got lots of questions about how do I prevent this from happening or how can my horse contract it. So how, what are some ways that you recommend an owner prevent uh, botulism? Well, there are a couple of different things that owners should do. The first is there is a vaccine that's available. Uh, the only caveat, I'll say, is that the vaccine works really, really well at preventing botulism due to Clostridium botulinum type B, um, B as in boy. And that is far and away the most common type of botulism in the United States. It probably accounts for about 85% of the cases across the country. However, horses can also get type A and type C botulism. Um, and although they don't cause as many cases, they do occur and there's no cross protection with the vaccine. So if the horse is vaccinated with this vaccine for type B and then runs into the type C botulinum toxin, they'll still get botulism. Uh, so the vaccine will prevent a lot of cases, but then good management is really the other aspect that owners need to focus on. So like you were saying, if you have some hay and it's obviously spoiled, don't feed it to the horses because in addition to the mold that can, you know, affect, you know, their respiration and give them inflammatory airway diseases, it may be carrying this botulinum toxin as well. So you want to get rid of any hay that's gotten wet and it's been spoiled. Um, if you're feeding those big round bales, they are a known or big square bales, any very, you know, large thousand pound bale of hay, they're definitely risk factors. So you need to pay attention as the horses are eating from that bale and make sure that you're not seeing any kind of rotten spots that are coming to the surface that you should get rid of. Um, another thing, obviously, to watch for, and what owner wouldn't, if you see something dead, you know, a dead animal, a cat, a rabbit, a, you know, anything in the hay, you shouldn't feed that part of the hay, that bale or that section, because that dead animal may contain the botulinum toxin as well. Do you have any advice on preventing the um, botulism being contracted through a wound? So in terms of being contracted through a wound, the best thing, honestly, is good veterinary care from the very beginning. Anytime there's a deep sort of wound or a puncture, anything that closes over, you want to make sure that the horse is treated by a vet to either open up that wound so it can drain properly and it doesn't form any kind of internal abscess or, you know, that oxygen-free environment. And the horse may need to go on antibiotics. Even, you know, drugs that are very common like penicillin are effective at limiting the growth of this organism, the Clostridium botulinum. So if the horse is started on antibiotics, hopefully that would prevent the, this bacteria from growing. Okay. And so once you have uh, one of these horses in 
your hospital and you've diagnosed it definitely with botulism, um, how likely is the animal to survive and what can you do for care to, to give, give the horse its best chance of survival? So the survival rate is really dependent on a couple of things. Number one, how much of the toxin the horse was exposed to, and number two, how quickly they receive veterinary care. And so the first treatment that we give to try to combat this disease in the hospital is an antitoxin. And this is basically um, a plasma that's been collected from a horse that is hyper vaccinated or hyperimmunized against botulism, so it has lots of antibodies against this toxin, and this antitoxin will bind any toxin that's circulating in the sick horse's body. Unfortunately, the antitoxin can't reverse the clinical signs that are already there. So if you give this antitoxin to a horse that's still able to get up and is just having a little bit of trouble eating, it should keep the disease from progressing to the point where the horse is having trouble standing. However, However, if you don't get the antitoxin into the horse until it's already so weak that it can't stand up, you're not going to reverse those clinical signs. So even though you give the antitoxin, you're still left with this horse that, that can't stand up. If you get to the horse and treat it before it becomes recumbent all of the time so that it can't stand up, the prognosis is actually pretty good. Um, I would say at least you know, 80% of those horses, if not more, do well with appropriate supportive care, and they may need to be, you know, tube-fed or given IV fluids for 10 to 14 days until they're able to eat and drink on their own again. Um, but if you wait until the horse is unable to get up on their own, you're going to end up with a horse that has a much lower chance of survival. Maybe only 15% of those horses will make it through this disease, and the ones that do, they have really long hospital stays, sometimes a month or more, really big hospital bills. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars and, and an inordinate amount of supportive care from a lot of nursing staff. Yeah, so definitely commitment on the owner's part to make it to the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I was reading through our new fact sheet that we're putting together on botulism, and it said in there that the same amount, or it takes less botulism to kill a horse than it does a mouse. Is, is, that, is it that tiny, tiny amount, um, and the horses are really highly affected by it? It's, it's sort of true, I guess I'll say. It, you know, on a weight-to-weight basis, horses are more susceptible to botulism than pretty much any other species. But because they weigh so very much more than mice do, it would, it would actually take a little bit more um, toxin to kill a horse than it would to kill a mouse. But on a, a per-kilogram basis, horses absolutely are, are way more sensitive than mice are to this toxin. And in fact, we see botulism in horses more than in any other uh, veterinary species because really any type of animal, you know, even birds can get this disease, but it's not a disease that we see commonly in cattle, sheep, goats, cats, dogs, those types of species. Okay. So, Glenn, are you scared? Geez, I just want to—I just want to curl up in a ball. Um, I tell you what, it is—it's just like I said. It's just the horses can get so much different stuff, and and every time you come in with something else, it's scarier than the one before. It's, where can we find more information about Dr. Johnson? Or, or do you guys have a website? Or 
We do, actually. Um, there is, we are part of the botulism lab at New Bolton Center with the University of Pennsylvania. And so if you do a, a quick Google search for botulism lab and University of Pennsylvania, we have some information on that site, and especially um, for veterinarians or owners that are involved in outbreak situations and want to get samples tested to see if this is the disease that's causing the problem. All right, very good. Well, thank you for joining us today. And, of course, you can find Michelle at thehorse.com. Michelle, any articles you want to point out? Um, just that Acevet Live that Dr. Johnson and Dr. Little uh, did with us last week. Uh, lots of good information about an hour long. Um, we had lots of questions from people asking, you know, like I said, how, how do we prevent this? Um, and lots of great answers. So check that out. All right, very good. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. And that's a wrap. To listen to more of the Horse.com's tips, just go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the experts drop-down menu on the left. If you love listening to the Horses in the Morning gang putting in their two cents on horse health topics, along with fascinating interviews from around the equestrian world, you can tune in at horsesinthemorning.com every weekday. Don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. Today's podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products. You can visit them online at kppusa.com. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover on the show. You can subscribe to all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or mp3 player you can also listen to the shows right on facebook the players right there every day i'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip until then go ride your horse the horse radio network and the horse radio network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on horse tip daily